Lutheran. Today I'm preaching on John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you give us showing us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple's been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about him, for he himself knew what was in everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. On January 12, 2007, in a busy Washington, D.C. metro station, during morning rush hour, a man in his baseball cap with an open violin case in front of him played his fiddle for the passers-by. Quite a few of the children and young people stopped and stared, but they were soon hustled off by their parents. About a half dozen people stayed for a minute or two before moving on to catch their train. Out of the more than 1,000 passing commuters, a few dozen people threw money into the open violin case. After a while, the violinist had collected a total of $32.17. No one noticed that the musician was no less than Joshua Bell. Three weeks earlier, he had played to a packed house in Boston where tickets for the good seats went for $100 a pop. Unbeknownst to the distracted passers-by, Bell was playing one of the most difficult and intricate pieces ever composed for the violin. And he played it not only with world-class skill that Mr. Bell possesses, but he played it on a Stradivarius violin worth $3.5 million. The whole stunt had been orchestrated by the Washington Post to see if anyone would notice. No one truly did, except for a few children who sensed something was up. You know, too often in life, we do not realize what is standing right in front of us. Rather, like what we read about today in the second chapter of the book of John. 
In our text, Jesus was in Jerusalem for the upcoming Passover celebration. He goes to the temple, but he cannot get to the worship area because of all the vendors and money changers. The noise and smells are overwhelming. Bleeding sheep, mooing cattle, squawking doves, animal filth and odor catching in one's breath. Money changers and vendors, each trying to outshout his competitor. Jesus is overwhelmed and offended, and he shows it in his righteous indignation. He fashions himself a whip and goes to work clearing out the commercialism that has become the focus of the temple court. Verse 17 tells us that as the disciples watched Jesus drive the chaos out of the temple courts, they remembered a phrase from Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for his father's house did consume Jesus. He could not and would not tolerate the desecration that he witnessed there that day. Not only was the scene offensive compared to the intended sacredness, but the chaos all but blocked access to the sanctuary for those wishing to worship. Does zeal for the Lord's house in his message consume you? Christianity is radically different from the way of the world. Are you, as a Christian, radically different? from the world? Do you look each day for ways to tell others of your love for the Lord? Each time you're out in the community, do you invite everyone you meet to join you next Sunday for worship? Does your love and gratitude for what Christ has done for you just bubble up and flow onto others? The psalmist cried out, because he was being looked down on and poked fun of on account of his faith. Are you willing to endure scorn and live your faith out loud? I want to take a look at what blocks and clutters our way to meaningful worship. Several years ago, my husband and I visited a mega church in Minneapolis. The entrance and the narthex were bigger than any church I had ever belonged to. There was a wave of people coming out of the two worship areas from the previous services as we entered. And then there was also the waiting line for the Hebrews coffee bar. There were clusters of people around each of the electronic screens displaying the schedule for the day's activities and the week's events and meetings. And of course, there were crowds around the snack tables. Also, there were tables scattered around the room with clipboards for worshipers to sign up for various study groups, classes, and projects. Well, we grabbed on to each other, and after a few minutes of carefully maneuvering and several excuse me's, we found our way into one of the worship centers. We collapsed into our chairs, and I exclaimed, we made it. You see, this church 
offered so many extracurricular activities as they sought to attract and please everyone that their worship itself was almost superfluous. Sometimes our worship may get blocked by our personal baggage. You know, we get distracted from meaningful worship by the grudge that we're carrying against that person over there who offended me five months ago. Or perhaps we're focused on the exotic hair color, tattoos, or outrageous clothing that that person dared to wear in our sanctuary. Are we cautious about who we invite to church? In other words, do you worship at your temple or do you worship your temple? Let me offer that again. Do you worship at your temple or do you worship your temple? I'm reminded of Isaiah 56 verses 6 and 7. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Did you notice that started off with the foreigners who joined them? Additionally, I suggest that sometimes a person is so consumed with what they wish their church was that they miss what their church is. You know, if we only had more people and the unspoken and their money, we could afford to build a new fellowship hall. If we only had more money, we could hire a band and really liven up those services. If we could only attract one of those dynamic pastors who plays guitar and puts on a real show with his sermons, that person misses the fact that right here in our quiet little country church, we gather in the presence of Almighty God. His word is preached in truth. We gather in the communion of saints and pray for each other in Christian love. We receive complete forgiveness of our confessed sins, and we need not fear death. While our places of worship are important and should be treasured, our text is also speaking of another place of worship. Yes, there's a new temple in town, Jesus himself. No longer was worship confined to a specific point on a map. Now Jesus serves as the place where God is accessible. As John 1 verse 14 tells us, Jesus is the word of God that became flesh and lived among us. And then Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. Now, fundamentalist expressions of religion are obsessed with externals, all the things that 
thou shalt not do. But Jesus challenged the external ritualism that led to hypocrisy, where there is no inner motivation, no change of the heart. Father Richard Rohr shared this insight. When God is seen as outside, the sacrificial system will remain. However, when God moves inside, you are the temple and the sacrifice is no longer required. The only sacrifice now is me. Now, let me clarify. We're not saying that my sacrifice has anything to do with my salvation or righteousness. But because I have been saved by Jesus, I now offer myself as a sacrifice to him to use as he will. As you read the teachings of Jesus, you can see that he did not care about rituals. Rather, he wanted to see evidence of change in a person's heart. We can look to the Sermon on the Mount and different commands that Jesus gave. It is all about the condition of a person's heart. His teachings were about genuine love for him and for our fellow mankind. Love God and love your neighbor. For Jesus, the heart is the holy of holies. Religion is about the thoughts, words, and deeds that flow from it. When you choose to follow him, he will cleanse your heart of misplaced allegiances, pathetic excuses, smug self-satisfaction, spiritual complacency, greed, and every false sense of security. Then you will be ready for his stamp of approval and the title of the temple of the Lord. Amen.